Today, I am very excited to start our fall sermon series on the book of Ephesians. Every fall, we study letters of the New Testament. And since the beginning of our church, we studied Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, and Galatians, and 1 Corinthians. For 2019, we will feast on Paul's letter to Ephesians. How many of you read the Ephesians? Okay. So, how do you like the book? Is that one of your favorite? Whenever there is a debate about which letter of Paul is the greatest, the answer to that question is always narrowed down to two, Romans or Ephesians. Which one is a better letter of Paul to you, Romans or Ephesians? It's hard to choose. One New Testament scholar says, says Romans is the brain of Paul's theology, whereas Ephesians is the heart of Paul's theology. I really like that. So I was going to name our Ephesians series the heart of grace, heart of the grace. But I changed it last week to a series called Meth. M-E-T-H, meth. Meth is not an abbreviation of uh, methamphetamine. Some of you, I know, you're already thinking about that. I'm not a drug dealer nor you know, drug user. It's an acronym that means make evangelicals think hard. Note that. Make evangelicals think hard. I wish I can take a credit for that, but actually I, I kind of uh, got, uh, copied the idea from Andrew Yang, the Democratic candidate who came up with a math, M-A-T-H, Make America Think Again. Uh, just a, it's not a commercial, but a couple of weeks ago, a college student asked me, Pastor Paul, what do you think about Andrew Yang's proposal of a, uh, what is it, universal basic income? And I didn't know much about that. So I've been checking it out. And I really encourage you to check it out, Andrew Yang's speech at DNC, it, at YouTube. It's only nine minutes. It's worthwhile to listen to it. I might join a Yang gang. I'll just stop there. And, and I, one thing I totally agree is that if you really, really know the gospel, you gospel make you think. Christian, we have uh, this uh, tra tradition of uh, faith make us seek understanding. If you really encounter God, you, you don't stop thinking. You actually start thinking about the world and everything around you. That's uh, what grace of God does. So I want this through the book of Ephesians, our study of book of Ephesians, I want us to really think hard about Everything we presume to know about God and this book will reveal the deeper, higher, greater dimension of God's grace. Amen? So I'm very excited. Today, our first study will focus on the topic of predestination because that's the whole theme of this book. Ephesians, especially chapter 1, is so-called the chapter of predestination. Let me repeat that. Ephesians chapter 1 is a chapter of predestination. You heard that uh, if somebody asks, what is the love chapter in the, New Testament, in the Bible? You will say, 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. Right? What is a, a, a chapter for the spiritual gift? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and so on. If somebody asks you what is the chapter, the definitive chapter of a predestination, that is Ephesians chapter 1. Because here, the key words are the chose or elected or predestined. This topic of a predestination is hot. It's a very uh, controversial. But it's a very, very important. Some people find it as a monstrous because they, under, they misunderstand the doctrine of predestination. A lot of times, Christians have only two views of a doctrine of a predestination. Either you are Calvinist or Arminian. Either you are on the side of a sovereignty of God or absolute divine will, or you are on the human side or side of a free will. Guess where I, which one I am? Neither. I am Pauline. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not Armenian. So today we'll talk about biblical predestination. Biblical predestination, more than you know, is, a, is really incredible. And uh, before I go, I want to really emphasize one more time. Whenever Christians misunderstand, or Christians or whoever, people of God misunderstand the election of predestination, great harm is done. For instance, after the Protestant Reformation in 16th century, guess what? Protestants engaged into doctrinal infight. Lutheran, Reformed, and the Baptists, Anabaptists, you name it, everybody was fighting, my doctrine is better than you. And then in the process, there was a movement called the hyper-Calvinism. And they totally misunderstood predestination. And the result of that, for the next 200 years after Protestant Reformation, Protestant churches didn't send a single missionaries because everything is predestined by God. What do we do? God will save whoever he wants to save. Until 18th century, a Baptist layman and shoemaker named William Carey in England came, and then, all, then, then the great mission movement started. So understanding predestination is very important. And for me, and hopefully for you, truth of predestination is the most attractive and beautiful mystery of a Christian faith next to the doctrine of or truth of Trinity. Actually, predestination and Trinity are intrinsically connected. From the outset, I want to tell you this. The essence of a predestination is a God choosing some to heaven, some to you know, hell. It's a God is a choosing all of us and offering us his life. So, today we will read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. And before we read this passage together, I want to tell you this. I hope as we read this, you kind of feel the pulse of bursting emotion. Here, Ephesians chapter 3 to 14, just one word is. Do you, we read, this is a, in our English translation is a many, uh, many sentences. But original Greek sentence, this is a one long sentence. The longest sentence 
in the New Testament is Ephesians, today's text, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. 202 words. One sentence. And the scholars think Paul, when he wrote our letters, his, he, he had an eye problem. He couldn't see well. So other than writing his signature at the end of his letter big, he dictated to secretary, writing secretary, assistant called amanuensis. And the people believe, scholars think that Paul was, a, when he talking about predestination, he was filled with the spiritual ecstasy and theological exclamation that he was, a, you know, unceasing words coming out of his mouth and his eminences has a hard time to, you know, you know, write it down and to make a sense out of it. And he did the best he could. So, here we have this passage. I hope we get the excitement about this beautiful, beautiful truth of a biblical predestination. So are you ready? Did I let you, you know, appetize enough? I hope you're excited. All right, let's read our brothers and sisters and responsibly. So brothers, we read together first. Let's go. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So today we will look at the predestination on three parts. Just to imagine a tree. And a tree has a three major parts, the root, and the main body, the trunk, and then you know main branch, and then fruit. We're talking about fruit trees. So we're going to talk about three parts of a, a predestination, which is origin, and operation, and outcome. Three O's, origin, operation, and outcome. What is the origin of a predestination? In another word, when did God predestined us? If you look at the verse 4, He chose us in Him before the what? Creation or foundation of the world. So when did God chose us? Before, the, before God created the world. 
What does it mean that God predestined us before he created the world? It means God's predestination is deci decided regardless of the world and its way. That God, that God chose us is not something dependent on the world or caused by our doing, anything our doing in this world. God's predestination before the creation world means God did not choose us to gain something from what we do in this world. What God chose absolutely is related to his own will, nothing else. And nothing in this world conditions or obligates God's choice. And the technical term of this God's absolute choice of his own will, we call it unconditional grace or unconditional election. All right. Let's uh, think uh, one more time about uh, what does it mean the, before the creation of the world? Does it mean there was a time before God created the world? In uh, Augustine, the famous church father Augustine, he wrote a book called The uh, Confession. In that confession, there was somebody who asked this question. What was a God doing before he created the world? And back then, pastors gave an answer to uh, someone with uh, such a question this way. God was uh, pondering how to punish someone like you who asked a speculative question. And uh, Augustine said, that question is not actually a useless question. Actually, that question tells us, actually uh, uh, lead us, uh, read, you know, ask, you know, ask, you know, lead us to understand the profound truth about the relationship between time and God. We don't think about this kind of thing today, but think about it time. You know, do you think time is eternal? According to the Bible, time is not eternal. Time began when God created the universe. Look at the Genesis 1. There was morning and evening and first day. People think somehow time is eternal. That is a very, very Greek pagan idea. Time, universe, infinite, eternal, that is a pagan idea. In Christian biblical understanding of a cosmos and everything in it, including time and space, it is finite. Time has a beginning and end. And God transcends the time. So time is a creation of God. So before God created the world, let me tell you, there was no time. So when Bible talking about any time, biblical expression before the foundation of the world or creation of the world, it was talking about God himself, God's own nature, God's own desire. So what is God's divine will? In verse 5, Paul gives us God's will is pleasant. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In original Greek text, the phrase is actually one word, uh, eudokia, eudokia. You, you know, Greek, anytime Greek word you means good. Eulogy, that means a good words. When you somebody die, you give a good words to that person, right? And, uh, you know, euthanasia, good death. Today we understand it's a painless death. You know, you means a good. 
Dokia is a Greek word for thinking. So goodwill is a eudokia. It's a very, very important word. God predestined us according to his will, which is a goodwill. Now let me ask you, if you are unlimited in your resources like God, and you love someone like your children or friends or family members or your pastor, I might say, what would you like to do for that person? What do, if you have a, you know, incredible resource, you know, amount of resources, what would you like to do for your loved one? You know, for me, if I have a lot of resources, I want to actually pay for our retreat cost. Our annual, you know, forest annual retreat, I want to just pay. I want to, I want to really, I want to pay for it all. And then you know what? Actually, next time we go to mission trip, I want to pay for it all. I want to actually take all the shepherds to uh, Holy Land tour. Because last time I went to Holy Land, man, Bible become alive. When you, you know, when you, anyway. But predestination is founded on eudokia, goodwill of God. That means our salvation is not result of my will, but it was predetermined by God's will. God chose us. This, that's the foundation. That is the origin. That is the root of predestination. One-sided asymmetrical notion of predestination is a God's divine grace or unconditional election or grace. Now, modern people don't like this idea of uh, I'm somehow determined by God's will. Because modern people, influence, especially Americans, we are influenced by this radical, you know, individual, rugged individualism that modern people value a wrong decision freely made, more precious than right decision made by others. But Paul was not talking about uh, modern people. In ancient world, People love the will of God more than anything else. You know why? Because a human will, you cannot depend on on. No matter how good sound, human will always fail. Whereas a God's will is something you can take to bank. So for instance, if you look at the John 1, 13 and, uh, 11 and 13, a well-known passage, Apostle John said, he came to what is his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave a right to become children of God. And then he explained further, children born not of a natural descent, nor human descent, or husband's will, but born of God. Paul was, a, I mean, John was actually comparing spiritual birth to natural birth. And back then, physical birth was not reliable because it's all about the father. Father is the one who chooses who's going to be real my heir. Because you are biological, you know, descendant, I mean, child of that, what a man, that doesn't mean you become an heir of that man. It was an absolute patriarchal society that father can just, you know, change his mind especially rich men. So John was saying that unlike that human birth, which is not reliable, spiritual birth is reliable and concrete because 
God is the one who always keeps the promise. Just as Numbers 23, 19 said that God is not a man, that he should lie, nor a son of man, that he should change his mind. Does he not speak and act, and does he promise and not fulfill? God's will is a concrete. So that's why whenever predestination is mentioned in the Bible, it's always, always, remember this. In the Bible, when predestination is whatever passage talks about predestination, it was never used negatively, always positively, filled with praises and excitement. And that's why, you know, when you look at the uh, ending of the, uh, if, so there are two passages that, you know, uh, that talks about the predestination. One is Ephesians chapter 1. If you follow Ephesians chapter 1 all the way to the end of the section, Ephesians chapter 3, it ends in this way. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and imagine according to his power, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul and his talk about predestination in doxology. Another passage that, other passage that Bible talk about predestination is Romans 9-11. And then you know how Romans 11, verse 33 and 36 ends? Once again, O depth of riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable is judgment as a path beyond the tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given him to God? And God should repay him? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Doxology. Predestination in the, in the Bible to early Christians is about God overruling my, you know, it's, it's not God not respecting my personal will. No. We will see. You know, that's not the case. It's about this is the most concrete hope that you can have. Now, Whenever we talk about predestination, some Calvinists, they say, no, look at the, you know, uh, uh, Romans 9, Jacob, Esau, and Pharaoh. But even there, you cannot avoid. There is a Bible, it's a positive about predestination. Because nothing can thwart or hinder God's will for our salvation. So Romans 9, we read, uh, God says, Jacob, I love, Esau, I hate it. And a little bit later, God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh. The real subject matter of Romans 9 to 11 is not actually predestination, but it's a sovereignty of God. It was about the wisdom of God who never failed to achieve his good intention even when we fail. So when Israel, his chosen people, failed to understand divine election, Narrowly as their exclusive right, what happened to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It actually went to Gentile. And now through the Gentile, God is reaching out to Israelite. And God did not stop his redemption with the failure of his people, but continued to work out his plan of salvation. And the, Paul was giving the example of a God's wisdom is greater than ours. So for instance, when it comes to you know, Jacob and Esau, you know, Jacob is his father. Isaac completely failed to understand the God's you know, blessing. He th 
follow the human packing order that he was going to bless who? Esau, who was totally carnal and doesn't care about God's blessing. And yet, somehow, it ended up with Jacob. What does that tell us? God's wisdom and predestination transcend the human packing orders. What about the Pharaoh's case? Pharaoh also resists God's will to liberate the Israelites because he thinks I have a military superpower, then I can deal, you know, I dictate who serves me. And God was saying that you cannot change my plan. So both passages is talking about God's sovereign will. Now, let's let before we go to the second point, important point. So let me let me kind of recap because I don't want to put you asleep or I want you to think, not asleep. So let me ask you this question. When did God predestine or elect us? Before the foundation or creation of the world. What does it mean that God elected us before the creation of the world? God elected us unconditionally with his goodwill. And what is God's goodwill? Unlike a capricious, unreliable human will, God's will is concretely consistent and fulfilled and dependable. Now, that's why biblical writers, for them, will of God is something they are so confident and proud and grateful. Not something that, oh, God is impinging my right. No, it is absolutely their foundation. Now let's go to the second point, the operation of a predestination. That is how God has done predestination. This is a very important. Verse 7, in him we have redeemed. We have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sin. You know, the most important phrase in this passage is in him or in Christ. In this passage, about 10 times, through him, in him, repeated. If you really understand Paul's theology, you just have to remember, Paul's theology summed up in two words, in Christ. In Christ. Paul found God in Christ. Paul was a faithful Jew. He tried to follow the Mosaic tradition to the, you know, to the dot of the letter, and then he encountered Christ. And in Christ, he began to realize and understand Bible completely new, complete dimension. So, God does not. This, this is a, this, so. In Christ is a key word. You know, I just want to say this. When somebody talk about God especially pastor or theologian, you have to always ask this question. Is this person talking about God in Christ or out of Christ? Whenever somebody talks about God outside of Christ, that's a philosophy. That's his idea. Biblical theologies always talk about God only in Christ because Christ is the only way to God. God revealed himself, his heart to us through Christ. So whether somebody is a good theologian or a good whatever Christian or not, is it do you subject all truth to Christ or not? Luther is absolutely right. Anything that does go through the cross of Christ is not a Christian theology. Absolutely right. So this passage tells us clearly 
that God does not choose arbitrarily like uh, some human despot. You know, human boss and kings and presidents, they say, I like you, I don't like you. You know, like uh, President Trump. Oh, I'm sorry. One second. Please. Forgive me. I'm not anti, you know, I don't want to, okay. You know, church, church. Oh, parents. Oh, you're my favorite child. You need to work on it. You know. Humans, we, we arbitrarily select people. God didn't choose us that way. You know what God chose us? He chose Christ. And he offered Christ. And he predestined us in Christ. So Bible says very clearly, whoever comes to Christ, you come, you're willing to come in Christ, you are predestined. Biblical predestination is not individualistic. It is Christological. It invites everybody. 1 Timothy 2.4 says very clearly, God wants all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. Christ died for all men. Christ offered his life to all men. And anyone came to be saved in Christ. So I want to tell you this clearly. Pre-biblical predestination is open and inclusive and Christological. It's not mysteriously close to some and selectively open to others. It's not individualistic. Whoever says that, they didn't understand the scripture clearly. Now, in biblical predestination, is a very different from faith and fortune. To illustrate this, I want to share with you a, 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 a very important uh, medieval or early medieval Christian name of Boethius. Boethius was late 5th century, early 6th century person. He was a Christian in the early, uh, Christian who had a high uh, uh, government position, public office. When he defended a friend charged uh, with the treason, his political enemies framed him as a part of the, the treason uh, plot, and their false accusation worked. He was imprisoned, and a year later, he was executed. While he was imprisoned, many people pitied on Boethius, you know, because he became a victim of a nasty political you know, plot. So poor Boethius, and they said, fortune has forsaken you. When they say fortune has forsaken you, they believe the Romans. What is the Roman god of fortune? Fortuna. In Latin, it's a fortuna. By the way, sisters, don't you, don't you feel sort of offended? They call the god of fortune is actually woman, female, goddess, fortuna. Why? The males, men's, they thought, we don't change our mind like a woman. Women's are very fickle. Men, we are very steady. That kind of a male chauvinism called the goddess of a fate, Fortuna. So be offended. And then you might change it. It's a Fortuna. You know, man is also fickle. My husband is a fickle. That's what somebody wants to say. And uh, I agree. And so, because the people say, fortune betrayed you, Boethius. Fortune betrayed you. Goddess of you know, faith betrayed you, abandoned you. And Boethius couldn't take it. And he gave a Christian response to his tragedy. And that book is called 
translation of a philosophy. And this is an early medieval copy of that book. And then, by the way, do you notice that uh, medieval you know, uh, books, there are a lot of uh, pictures. Why do you think there's a, pictures is bigger than words, why? People are illiterate, right, right. Yeah, Lauren, somebody's paying attention to, you know, uh, humanity class, right. So, and so lady philosophy was consoling. By the way, by philosophy, early Christians believed that Christianity was a the philosophy, the wisdom. Sophia is the, another name of Christ. That's how early Christians believed. And this book, Consolation of a Philosophy, is such a powerful and influential book that later uh, Dante wrote a divine committee in the same way. Instead of a ladies, uh, Lady uh, Sophia, he had a what? His a guide was Virgil. And also, the, you know, uh, Boetius influenced uh, Thomas Aquinas, Peter Everold, and Don Scottus, all these great thinkers. And this book was uh, next to the Bible most read in the, during the medieval time. Now, his response to people say that God or faith abandoned him, Boetius said this, I believe in the providence of God, not faith. Unlike your goddess of fortune, my God is still in control of everything. He's sovereign, his providence is good. What happened to me is bad, but it cannot take my true happiness because my true happiness is in me, is in my soul. It is a gift of God's grace that the world cannot take it away. It sounds like Jesus told disciples, the peace I give to you is not the world gives, but only from the Holy Spirit. John 14. Boethius said that while your happiness is circumstantial and based on winds of a fortune, your fortune, your happiness is inferior to mine because mine is a okay. Whatever cannot be taken is a greater than whatever can be taken. My, my happiness is from God. It's internal. It is filled with the virtues. And then in the process, Boethius said this very important thing about the gospel knowledge and the coordination. Gospel knowledge means God knows everything before it happens. And this is very important because Boethius reflect early Christians you know, thinking about I mean, foreknowledge of God and coordination. Calvinists, they made a huge logical mistake, fallacy. They misunderstand, they think the foreordination, foreknowledge means foreordination. Whatever God, I mean, since everything that happened, God already, not only God knew, but God somehow foreordained. Because they believe in absolute sovereignty of God. Now, let me give you one very important, you know, truth about the Christian theology, you know, uh, biblical understanding. You know, men usually take a side. We go extreme, one way or another. Sovereignty or human will. Bible always talk about paradox. God is bigger than our system. God's, you know, God's love and wisdom can contain both. And this, that's why a lot of times the best way to understand God is a paradox. Now, God knows everything because in the past, you know, God transcended time and space. But Boethius said that doesn't mean God foreordained everything. 
Because why? If God foreordained everything, including evil, who is the author of evil? God is the author of evil. So did God know about the Holocaust, the death of innocent six million Jewish people? Yes, he did. Did he ordain it? Hell no! I use the strong word hell because that's not a Christian theology. Some people, they misunderstand the predestination with a matrix of absolute sovereignty and they say whatever, you know, happening is ordained by God. They completely, completely misunderstood their Christian understanding of foreknowledge and foreordination. God knows everything. God, God once again transcended time and space. But that doesn't mean God foreordained everything. And much more, against the evil, what did God offer? God predestined his son, Jesus Christ, as a lamb of God and lion of Judah who fighting our battle. If you look at Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 26, we don't have time. I have to go fast. So there, Paul and Peter, Peter said this, Repent that God may send you, 20, verse 20, the Messiah Christ who has been appointed for you, Jesus. The word for appointed is actually the same word that elected. For us, in eternity, guess who God predestined and elected? Jesus Christ. So you come to Jesus Christ and you are, you are joining God's predestination. God's predestination is Christological. God offered Christ for our struggle and sin. Now let me go to the last point. What is the outcome of predestination? This is something, again, a lot of people don't talk about. But predestination is not individualistic. It just ends with me. It has divine purpose. What is the divine purpose of a predestination? Once again, this is the difference between faith and uh, predestination. You know, faith, if you really believe in faith and fortune, there is no personal responsibility. There is no social concern, right? But when you believe biblical predestination, there is your responsibility. There is God's call for you. Now, chapter 9, I mean verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9. He made a known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. The word good pleasure is once again, do you remember the word? Eudokia, okay. You are not sleeping. Hallelujah which he purpose in Christ. The key word in the book of Ephesians that later we will see is a word mystery. This mystery is not a pejorative sense of the word mystery, like who is my mystery love, who is my secret center. It's not those kind of mystery. This is a heaviest sense of the word. Because at the time, Greco-Roman world, there are people who believe the mystery religion. And the mystery simply means a secret saving knowledge or ultimate reality. The ultimate reality. And they usually believe that it's a spiritual knowledge. And so, for instance, people like uh, in Persia or today's Iran, 
The people believe the Mithra, God of Mith God Mithra, and Mithraicism, and they killed a, a, a bull. And then they drink the bull as an initiation. And uh, they people called those who uh, initiated this mystery religion, which was very popular in the Greco-Roman world. A lot of uh, soldiers, generals also were followers of Mithraicism. They called them mystai or mystic. Mystai or mystic. And by the way, you think this is all the ancient mumbo jumbo? You know, all the, 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 in the university, Greek fraternity, when they do hazing, guess what the father of all hazing? Mystery religion. That's where it came from. Because they say, oh, not that, you know, mystery is so, this is such a precious secret knowledge. Only chosen one who willing to endure this initiation process go through. And that's how they justify the hazing, right? Now, that's the word Paul is using here. And then he said, God made us known mystery of his will. Later in chapter 3, we'll see it completely, but I'll just give you the foretaste of it. Chapter 3, verse 3 to 5 say this, Mystery made to known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in other generations, it has been known, but as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So what is the ultimate mystery that God revealed through the predestination and through Christ? That mystery is none of the church of Jesus Christ. Ultimate outcome of God's predestination in Christ is for us not only just to get a ticket to go to heaven, but to become a part of kingdom of God, become members of his church. And the early Christians, that's what they were, they were excited, what made them, what made them so excited, it was not a, some kind of mystical secret knowledge or even ecstatic experience, it was that God, made a new humanity out of Christ. And then he brought Jews and Gentiles, poor and rich, slaves and free, men and women, everyone into one as a Christ. Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians 3, 26 and 29? There is a neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are the Abraham's seed and the heir according to the promise. So ultimate outcome of a predestination is the church. That's something that a lot of theologians forget. They think a predestination is about who gets saved, who is not saved, or you know, whoever wants to save. They go, ultimate God's desire of predestining us in Christ is not to, for us to just go to heaven after we die. But on this world, we join Christ and his kingdom. This is why Boethius said, a man content to go to heaven alone will never go to heaven. Isn't this scary? It's sort of, you know, man content to go to heaven alone will never go to heaven. 
It reminds me of uh, John Paul's art of a French you know, a philosopher that hell is other people. You know what? By grace of God, other people become heaven. Amen. You know? those, those of us uh, introvert, yeah, there is a grace of God. By grace of God, you will enjoy those uh, you know, uncomfortable, inconvenient people that God placed you in your life. Actually, they will make you more loving and caring. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. Church is not a, another religious institution or organized religion. Church of Jesus Christ is the concrete expression of a biblical predestination. We are purposed by Father before the creation of the world, and we are creating the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And today, I didn't have a chance to go, but he, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit as a deposit to be heir. Once again, we see whole Trinity working together. Father choosing us in Christ before the creation of the world. And Christ is remaking us through his death and resurrection and the Holy Spirit empowering us to follow Christ and the joining God's predestining work. So let me close this. Predestination simply means God inviting us through his Son and Holy Spirit. Join me. Join me. Know my heart. Participate in divine Trinitarian fellowship and recreate this divine community in your family, in your church, in your workplace, wherever you go. That is the ultimate meaning of a biblical predestination. Question, have you chosen God as your Lord and Savior? As a God chose you and willing to pay incredible price, are you willing to choose God? I pray as God chose us in the cross of Christ, we chose him too. We choose him too in complete gratitude and obedience. Amen. Let's pray.